You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. If you would please open your Bibles to the book of Psalms and remain standing for the reading and proclaiming of God's word. Our reading this morning is Psalm 124. If it had not been for the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been for the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us, they would have swallowed us up alive. When their anger was kindled against us, then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us, and then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord, who has not given us as their prey to their teeth. But we have escaped like a bird from the snare of the flowers, and the snare is broken, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who have made heaven and earth. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We thank you so much for your word, especially such a rich psalm like this that reminds us of the story of our deliverance, that we are great sinners and yet you're an even greater savior. And I pray, Lord, as um, we, we dive into this psalm, that it would stir within us, Lord, a remembrance of what Jesus has done on our behalf and also a great hope and anticipation for what he will continue to do for us as people and as a community. Stir our faith through this glorious song we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, a sociologist named Christian Smith studied the religious landscape of America in the early 21st century, in the first decade or so. And what he found was that the dominant understanding or the the predominant belief in God, especially among young people, was what he called moralistic, therapeutic deism. Moralistic, therapeutic deism can be boiled down to these five points God exists, and he made the world. The central goal of life is to be happy and feel good about ourselves. God wants people to be generally good people. Generally good people are those who go to heaven. And finally, and in the meantime, while God is somewhere out there, he's not particularly involved in our lives. And what he said was, most of the time, the God of this faith, moralistic therapeutic deism, keeps a safe distance from people. The predominant belief of our age, of our time, of our generation, is in a detached, indifferent deity somewhere out there just sort of pulling the strings and keeping things in motion. But Psalm 124 is really important insight into what life would be like if that were true. If the goal of life was to try to simply be good and to feel good about ourselves and God was just somewhere out there but not particularly involved in our lives, then as Psalm 124 shows us, we would be doomed. (laughs) Life would not be good. Life would be devastating. 
Life would be lived every single moment with no hope. Now, we aren't typically encouraged to live life obsessed with the what ifs. What if I would have gotten that job? What would my life be like if I didn't have this chronic pain or, or illness? Or what would life be like if I would have gotten that break I was working so hard for? Or what would life be like if I hadn't made that decision? Or if I had married that person? If I had gone to that school? What if, what if, what if? These are not typically helpful places to let our minds go to. But the funny thing is, this is exactly where the Bible is leading us today to a really important what if, and causing us to look back at our own journey and to consider this. What if the Lord had not been on our side? And then he says it again. Let me say it again, Israel. What if the Lord had not been on our side? What if God had just simply allowed you to go down that path? What would life be like without his grace and his presence and his ongoing intervention and, and his promises of rescue in our lives? What would life be like if God just simply let go and let us live our lives? Someone who considered what life would be like without the rescue of God and really was forced to come to the very edge of himself was a man, a man named John Newton. And we know that name because he wrote the famous hymn, Amazing Grace. And while he is mostly known for that famous hymn, Amazing Grace, there were large portions of his life that were marked by anything and everything but Amazing Grace. In fact, according to his own testimony, he was a, quote, vile, blasphemous man who ran a slave ship devastating the lives of countless men and women and many generations to come, transporting slaves from Africa to England. And during one of his voyages, the ship that he was captain of hit this serious storm, and, and the sails were torn, and the, the waves were beating up against the ship so much that it started to fall apart. And there he stood as the captain of the ship, holding on to the helm, trying with everything he had to try to steer the ship out of the storm, but he simply couldn't. And he said, at that moment, I had a realization that my life was no better than this ship. Lost, broken, out of control, going down, and taking people with it. And so what he, he, he did what often desperate men and women do. He, he called out upon God and, and called out for his mercy. And he says this, on that day, the Lord sent from high and delivered me out of the deep waters. And he's not just talking about the practical deliverance from the storm that he, he experienced, but more importantly, God that day delivered him from the storm of sin that was taking him down. And so on the path of his life transformation that, the, that God was bringing about in his life, he left the slave trade, he became a minister, he joined William Wilberforce and the abolitionist movement. And years later, as an older man, he sat down to consider the what if of Psalm 124. What if? And in that moment, he wrote this famous hymn, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. 
Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. It is grace that brought me safe thus far, and, and grace will lead me home. The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. This hymn, Amazing Grace, is a very helpful companion to Psalm 124. And so what we're going to do is we're going to use the themes and, and the progression of these three verses in order to explain what Psalm 124 means for the Christian life today. And so in, in order to simplify it, I'm going to break this teaching into three headings, desperation, danger, and deliverance. Let's look first at desperation. Perhaps one of the most popular religious phrases of recent history that was also simultaneously the most deceptive and devastating words ever spoken were these, God helps those who help themselves. God helps those who help themselves. But there is nothing further from the truth. And what's clear from this psalm and what's clear from the testimony of Scripture is that God helps those who simply cannot help themselves. God is help for the weak and the needy and the broken and the drowning and the trapped and the desperate. God is help of the helpless. And perhaps one of the biggest hurdles between you and God today is not your sin. It's not your failure. It's not your weakness. It's not your insecurity. It's not your doubt. Perhaps the greatest hurdle between you and God today is your own self-confidence. Maybe it's not that you have failed too many times. Such a fear of ours as Christians. I failed God just that one time, that one extra time where he gives up on us. Maybe it's not that you failed too many times. Maybe you haven't dealt with failure enough. Maybe you haven't come to the place where you finally realize just how desperate you are for rescue that comes from outside of yourself. Outside of yourself. So many of us, for so long have been afraid of being helpless. No one wants to be helpless. The feeling of helplessness is a very horrible feeling. No one wants to feel dependent on other people. We want to be independent. We want to be self-confident. We want to be self-reliant and self-assertive. But in reality, what we should fear most, and hear me today, what we should fear most as Christians is not being helpless enough. Because it was Jesus himself who said in the famous Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit, the spiritually bankrupt, those who acknowledge their absolute moral deficit. Why? Because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Not the rich in spirit and the rich in morality, but the poor in spirit, those who are humble enough to acknowledge their need. Now, the images of this psalm are intended to poetically emphasize our helplessness, to really show us how life is lived on the edge of defeat every single day. Think about it. If God just let things go, how much more chaotic 2020 would be. How every one of us are hanging over the edge of defeat every moment, and it is by the grace of God we don't fall in. And it gives a lot of illustrations, armies too big for us, floods too high for us, rapids too fast for us, beasts too fierce for us, teeth too sharp for us, snares too clever for us. 
that this psalm is intended to bring us to the end of ourselves because that is precisely where God meets us. At the end of ourselves, at the end of our rope, at the end of our abilities, in our need. When every earthly hope has been exhausted and found wanting, and every avenue of help inevitably fails us, and we've just got nothing left but need. There, right there, in that very place, in that very uncomfortable moment, is where we discover true and free grace. A Chinese theologian named Watchman Nee once said these words, outside of Christ, I am only a sinner, but in Christ I am saved. Outside of Christ, I am empty. In Christ, I am full. Outside of Christ, I am weak. In Christ, I'm strong. Outside of Christ, I cannot. In Christ, I am more than able. Outside of Christ, I have been defeated. In Christ, I'm already victorious. How meaningful are the words in Christ? The question for you, friend, is this. Are you willing to make a statement like that? Apart from Christ, I can do nothing. The truth is you will never, ever come to see and experience this amazing grace that has come to us through Jesus Christ until you are able to come to grips with just how lost and defeated you are on your own. Until you're willing to give up on you. And perhaps the gift that 2020 is giving to us is the humility to finally admit just how desperate You've always been. Now that the defenses are down, now that all the things that you use to insulate your life are stripped away and and gone, maybe you will be humble enough to finally acknowledge I've been desperate every moment of my life. I'm just now coming to acknowledge it. Desperation. The second thing we see here is danger. Danger. Now, We're told that this psalm is a song written by David. And he's recalling these experiences of, you know, danger and how God's people were facing danger and how God delivered them out of that. But the funny thing is he's not entirely specific about when and what had happened. It's so interesting how these poetic psalms can be so descriptive and yet it leaves us wondering, wait, what happened? And that's the point. That's the point so that we can personalize it. Maybe he's referring to Saul and his army who pursued David. Maybe he's referring to his son Absalom who started this revolt against his father David. Maybe he's referring to when the Philistines rose up to attack Israel when David became king. Maybe he's remembering this moment when he was a youth when this giant Goliath stood up and called out to Israel and said, send forth a warrior. Maybe he's going all the way back to the moment where God caused him to be able to defeat the lion. We don't know. But that's the point. Life is full of danger. And danger comes in all shapes and sizes. Danger comes in the form of hostile people. Danger comes in the form of global pandemic. Danger comes in the form of loss and depression and economic instability and, oh my gosh, political years like like 2020 and even death. Danger comes at us fast and from every direction. 
And here's the thing about danger. Danger is not a respecter of persons. In other words, danger does not show partiality. Danger never says, oh, you know what? That's a good person right there. And I even heard you pay your taxes, you go to church, and you even sponsor a child overseas. I'm just going to skip over you today. No. Danger doesn't care who you are or what you've done. Danger doesn't care if you're young or you're old or you're educated or you're not or you're good or you're bad. Or here's the kicker, whether you're a Christian or you're not. Suffering comes upon the unrighteous and the righteous. And when it comes to how much we suffer, there is very little difference about the Christian, between the Christian and the rest of the world. God on our side does not mean that we're going to face less hazards on the journey. If anything, it means we'll face more. I hope they told you that. Grace that brought me safe thus far and grace will lead me home. This doesn't mean that the Christian will go unharmed. It means that the Christian is going to make it home. Now, I remember as a young boy, I grew up in this area, up in the Sacramento area, right uh, off the American River at a, a place called the Fish Hatchery. And this is a very unique process where these salmon are released into the stream. Beautiful, I mean, beautiful salmon. They leave down the American River. They get into the, the Sacramento River, and then they make their way out through the delta into the ocean. They do their thing at the ocean. And at the end of their lives, they know, they sense how to get back through the, the delta, the Sacramento River, up the American River, and to the very area of the fish hatchery. They spawn, and they die. But here's the interesting thing. They come back changed fish. They leave beautiful. They come back mangy with these big old gouges and fins missing and eyeballs missing because of all the rapids and the rocks and sharks. I don't know, all these crazy things that these fish face as they're coming home. They're ugly. They've seen a thing or two. But that's not the point. The point is this. They made it home. They completed their journey. And when we complete the race of faith, and when we arrive at the city of God, as the Bible describes this new Jerusalem that is promised for every single believer throughout time, then we too are going to show up with lots of scars and lots of limps. But that's okay. Because if you think about it, all the greats of heaven have limps or scars, including Jesus himself. Here's the point, that we're going to make it, that we're going to persevere, that God's going to see us through to the end. The psalmist says, if it had not been for the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us alive when their anger was kindled against us. But God didn't let that happen. Then the flood would have swept over us, but that, God didn't let that happen either. And the torrent would have gone over us, but he didn't let that happen. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. He didn't let that happen either. Here's the interesting thing. Grace doesn't mean that we're untouchable. Listen, Christian, grace means we're unstoppable. 
It doesn't mean we're untouchable. It means we're unstoppable. And life will persist on coming at us from every direction. But for God's covenant people, we will persevere to the end. For some of us, it's going to be a sprint. For some of us, it's going to be a jog. For some of us, it's going to be a brisk walk. And for the rest of us, it is going to be a slow, ugly crawl. But by God's grace, we will make it home. This is what the Apostle Paul prays for the believing church. When he prays in 1 Thessalonians, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless. Not untouched. Not unscarred. Not unblemished. Blameless. At the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, he who calls you is faithful. And guess what, friend? He will surely do it. He will surely do it. Let's look finally at deliverance. Every single person will inevitably confess life is a hard battle. Life is a fight. Everyone, especially in a year like this, will be, uh, will be faced with the inevitable realization that life is hard. But not all will be able to say, the Lord is on my side. All fight the battle, but not all will confess that the Lord is on our side. And so what does this mean, that the Lord is on our side? I can tell you what it is not. It doesn't mean that that God is choosing sides in your argument. It doesn't mean that God is choosing sides in your interpersonal conflict. It doesn't mean that God is choosing sides in your silly little debate online. It doesn't mean that God is choosing sides with denominations or causes or movements or even history for that matter. And it definitely doesn't mean that God is choosing sides when it comes to politics. In fact, I made the mistake of opening up my Nextdoor app recently. Big mistake. And so I'm scrolling through, and I, I come across a post where a couple neighbors are having this lively debate about religion and politics. Great combination. And so then everyone begins to chime in, and I cannot make this up. One of my neighbors writes this. If Jesus were here, I am sure that he would be wearing a mask and voting blue because he has compassion and empathy for everyone, especially the poor and downtrodden. Now, that sounds crazy. I am sure that Jesus would vote blue. But for however ridiculous that sounds, let's be honest for a moment. That's what we all think. Of course Jesus would vote blue. Of course Jesus would vote red. Of course Jesus would be a Republican. Of course Jesus would be a Democrat. Of course Jesus would be like us, you know, elite independents. Whatever the case may be, of course Jesus would do that because Jesus loves the things that I love and he hates the things that I hate and he cares about the things I care about. But as Anne Lamont once said, you can safely assume that you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people you do. Or maybe... The application for 2020, you can safely assume that you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God votes the same way you do. But you see, the more that you align yourself with God, and God aligns himself with his people, the more you're going to find yourself not fitting in to political parties, either one. And that's for a number of reasons. One is God is not a partisan God. 
And also the movement of God seems to be allergic to human power. It is always moving down to find its place among the powerless and the poor. See, politics, whether it's Democrats or Republicans or whatever, it's set up to benefit the power. But here Jesus comes down to be with the people. And I think this is the point. God's not taking sides in politics, but he is taking his sides with people. God is on the side of the unborn. But he's also on the side of the rape victim. God is on the side of the oppressed. God is on the side of the asylum seeker. God is on the side of the murdered, unarmed black man. God is on the side of the oppressed. And it's not because he sides with our politics or our movements or our ideologies. And it's not because even God is choosing to be on the right side of history. Here's why. It's because it's who God has always been. God is near to the brokenhearted. God is compassionate towards the afflicted. He is just, and he is holy, he is powerful, and he is gentle, and he stands in defense of the defenseless, and he is help for the helpless. This is who God has always been. Now, spiritually speaking, there is an application here for all who believe. And in the New Testament, it would describe the Lord being on our side as Jesus standing in our defense against the oppressive powers of sin, Satan, and death. And you see, when Jesus died on the cross and rose on the third day, it wasn't just to bring forgiveness for our sin, but it was in order to bring victory and triumph and overcoming as Jesus established his kingdom of liberation and life. And that's what we celebrate when we declare with the psalmist, blessed be the Lord who has not given us his prey to their teeth. We have escaped like the bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. You see, through faith in Jesus Christ, the chains of sin have been broken. Through faith in Christ, the power of the devil's grip on us has been loosened Through faith in Jesus Christ, even the sting of death has been done away with. And now he stands as a warrior defending his people against all the oppressive forces that seek our demise. In fact, in the New Testament, as the Apostle Paul is describing the, the gracious work of Jesus Christ, and the, the now powerful ministry of the Holy Spirit, he then utters these amazing words in Romans 8. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? This is the question that we have to consider every single day as we enter into the world that is going to be opposed. God is for me. What can stand against me? Now, this doesn't mean that things won't come against us. What it does mean is this, that the things that come against us will not be able to overcome us. And this psalm here is intended to bring us hope in our seasons of struggle because it reminds us that God is on your side in your struggle against sin. And friend, God is on your side in in your resistance against evil and injustice. And God is on your side as you fight against the schemes of the enemy. And God is on your side even in that painful journey through your own death. 
God stands with you and for you. Now, let me conclude with this. There's a, an Allstate commercial, a series of Allstate commercials. I don't care who you are. I am confident you've seen at least one of these. And there's this character that appears in all these Allstate commercials. His name is Mayhem. And every time Mayhem shows up, it shows us the, all the ways that Mayhem can strike and tries to destroy us. And then every commercial ends with Dean Winters walking out cool and smooth. And he says this statement, Mayhem is everywhere. Are you in good hands? Mayhem is everywhere. Are you in good hands? And that's the question that the psalm is asking us today. Are you in good hands? Now remember, this is one of the songs that would be sung on the, the journey to Jerusalem. This, the, these are the psalms of ascent. Down that treacherous path that brought with it practical and relational and spiritual dangers, toils and snares at every corner. And so that the way that they would cultivate trust on this hard journey, and especially through dangerous times, is they would sing and they would celebrate the way that God delivers his people. He did it then, he'll do it again. Let's sing. But there's a moment right at the end of the psalm where all of the history and all of the knowledge of God's faithfulness and his deliverance must be personalized. In fact, the psalm causes the singer to make it personal. Verse eight, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. This is the distinct moment where the singer has to abandon the belief that there is a God somewhere out there that keeps a safe distance from his people and confess for themselves, he is our help. He is my help. The hands that formed the earth are the gracious hands that are holding me. I am in good hands. Frederick Buckner once said, for what we need to know, of course, is not just that God exists, not just that beyond the steely brightness of the stars, there's a cosmic intelligence of some kind that keeps the whole show going, but that there is a God right here in the thick of our day-to-day -day lives, in the fragrant muck and misery and marvel of the world. It is not objective proof of God's existence that we want, but the experience of God's presence. That is the miracle that we are all really after, and I think also the miracle that we really get. And friend, this is the miracle that you can receive when you trust in Christ for salvation. And what that means is by faith, acknowledging your sin and your need and then receiving Jesus's grace and provision, what he has provided for you through his death and resurrection. Trust him today so that you too can join the family of God singing these faithful words throughout the generations. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for it.